0: Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast.
1: Hello, hello, you're listening to Fulhamish Extra. My name is Don Betts and on today's episode, we were looking ahead to Saturday's Premier League opener against Arsenal, what we can expect from new recruit Alphonse Areola and some tips on tricks how you can excel with your fantasy Premier League size this season. We open our 2021 Premier League campaign against Arsenal on Saturday. And joining myself to look ahead to the season opener is Harry Simu from Chronicles of Aguna podcast. How are you doing, Harry?
0: I'm good, mate. Thanks for having me. How
1: are you? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. So let, let's get straight into it. Obviously, the end of lockdown for you was very, very good. Obviously, you, beated, you beat City in the FA Cup semi-finals, you beat Liverpool in the league, and then obviously you beat Chelsea in the FA Cup final. What do you think changed for Arsenal towards the end of lock, the post-lockdown period?
0: I think a little bit of, um, obviously, that the attitude changed. I think it's changed massively under Mikel Arteta. I think, uh, you know, the organisation of the team, there was a structure there, finally, um, especially from a defensive standpoint. That's something we've been missing for years and years And I think when when Mikel Arteta came into the club, everybody automatically assumed that because he'd been working with Pep Guardiola that he was going to come there and it was just going to be attack, attack, attack. And that really hasn't been the case. Um, I think he's looked at the side. He had some time, obviously, over lockdown to reflect on things as well, um, where the games weren't coming thick and fast. I know he didn't always have players on the training ground, which doesn't help. But of course, he had a, a good period of reflection and he was able to look at, where our problems are. And you've seen a number of tweaks, a number of adjustments he's made to the side that have made us more competitive against the bigger sides. And some of the results that you've mentioned are, you know, evidence of that. That Arsenal, despite probably not having the quality of defender that we need if we're going to push on um, and finish in the top four, we've managed to close that gap a little bit in terms of, of sort of our defensive quality just by tweaking that system, just by making it more effective, just by closing gaps in the team that were were, were so evident. So, yeah, look, there's a lot of positives to take. Obviously, Aubameyang's been in excellent form and if you can defend well and you've got him in the side, you've always got a chance of of nicking a goal at the other end.
1: With Arteta, obviously him and Scott Parker have both come to jobs where they've been former midfielders for the team, former captains. Do you think, a bit like what Scott Parker did at Fulham when he first won, do you think it was actually the stability that he's just added to the team, really? Because obviously, ever since, obviously with the last few years of the Wenger and then sort of Emery, it was a decent start, but then it never there wasn't really any stability there. Do you think that's one thing he's added as well?
0: Yes, stability for sure. And, a set of principles that he calls, well, he calls them non-negotiables in terms of players' attitudes, the effort that they put in, uh, the commitment. Uh, and we were missing that at Arsenal. And I know that sort of towards the end of Arsene Wenger's era, things went a little bit stale, but those principles were always there. Um, With Arsene Wenger, maybe uh, they weren't necessarily being followed through by everybody, but the principles were there. When Unai Emery came in, though, I don't think anybody actually knew what the what the plan was. What were the principles of Unai Emery's Arsenal? We don't know because there were so many changes. And I get from a certain sort of, I get to a degree, he had to just do what he thought was right to get us over the line in certain games. And as much as I wasn't a fan of Unai Emery, you know, he, he missed out on the top four in his first season by a point and he lost in in the Europa League final so it's not like it was a disastrous season but after that it just fell by the wayside again and and you started to again ask those questions what is it that this guy is trying to achieve with Mikel Arteta his communication has been excellent not just with the players though, with the fans as well. And what he's given us is he's given us this feeling of having our arsenal back. We feel that connection to our team again, to our club again. And that is all because of him that lays the foundations, doesn't it? For progress. And, and like you said about Scott Parker, he's as an ex player, as an ex captain is somebody that we've automatically got um, sort of a good rapport with a good relationship with. And when you can see them doing well, you're, you know, you're more inclined to sort of get behind them. Obviously when times are rough, you'll still have your doubts, but given their history with the club, you're more likely to to hang in there with them and support them for that little bit longer. So I feel like he's gone back to basics. I feel like his relationship with the club has helped. But if I'm being honest and I can obviously I can only speak from my perspective, I, I think that had Mikel Arteta not had an affiliation with Arsenal previously I still would have been impressed by what I've seen so far because of the way he communicates and the way he puts his points across.
1: If we're looking ahead to obviously Saturday, if we're looking at the transfer business that you've done, first of all, you obviously have William Seab, who was on loan at St. Etienne last season, has come in. You've had Gabriel come in as well, two new centre-backs. Do you think those two, if they get the ground running, could be a massive difference for Arsenal this season?
0: Yeah, I think it's it's no secret that Arsenal have got some really substandard centre halves at the club at the moment, and my understanding is that they're doing everything they can at the minute to move a number of those players out. Um, we've been kind of rocked by the news that David Luiz may not be available uh, for the weekend, and he may not be available, in fact, for a sustained period. That's what the reports are, are telling us. We don't know for sure yet. Um, we're awaiting the press conference to know about that. But I mean. As much as I'm excited by the prospect of Saliba and Gabriel, particularly in Saliba's case, he is still very young. He is still relatively inexperienced. And I think we've got to be patient and understand that these are two signings that were made very much with a view to the future. I think you're still going to see David Lewis when he's available, marshalling that back three. He'll be in the middle of that back three whenever possible. Um, I think you'll probably see one of Saliba or Gabriel play. And I think that Mikel Arteta may be tempted for the time being to leave Kieran Tierney uh, in the, the back three as a left-sided centre-back. He's done really, really well there. And obviously, Maitland-Niles and, and Bukayo Saka, Kalasinaj as well, they give us additional options in that left wing-back position. So, you know, as much as I'm excited by the prospect of those two youngsters, I still think that they're going to need time. We need to be patient. I think in the long run, they can develop Arsenal, but for now, I wouldn't be getting carried away with the impact they're going to make straight away.
1: Obviously, we're talking about signings. Obviously, you brought in Willian as well on a free transfer from Chelsea, but do you think if Arsenal are going to make any signings, the biggest one they can do is obviously getting this, a contract over the line?
0: Yeah, and it looks very much like it's it's edging closer to happening. We've we've been saying for a few weeks now that it, it feels as though it's at least in principle been agreed um it feels as though Mikel Arteta has had a huge influence on um on the proceedings and it feels like Pierre Emerick Aubameyang has really bought into what he's doing at the club and and the the direction in which he wants to take us so i feel like that is going to happen um we had some reports from from David Ornstein uh, just earlier today actually that it is it is done and we're going to get an announcement imminently, and 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 you're right. You know Arsenal are being linked with a number of of, of midfielders at the moment, but it very much feels like signing a could be the most significant piece of business we do this summer. I really do think that because. Not only is he a great player, and you want to have him at the club for as long as possible, but it's a statement, isn't it? It's a statement to the rest of the world that actually Arsenal can keep hold of their stars because the project that is going on at the Emirates Stadium now is one that people are buying into and believing.
1: So, if, if you're looking at the rest of the transfer window, are you expecting Arsenal to do much more business? Also, you've been linked with our from Olympic Leon, but. Is there much more business you you expect them to do? Or do you think it is just going to be maybe getting one or two players and then getting Aubameyang to sign his new deal?
0: I think Arsenal are very much in the market for a central midfield player. Um, It's been confirmed by Leon that we have made an approach regarding OAR and that Gendouzi has been offered the other way. Um, It's understood that Leon are not interested in a swap deal. They don't want Matteo Gendouzi coming the other way. They want the 60 million euro fee uh, that they're quoting. We've also been linked with Thomas Partey, who would be available for 50 million euros. That's his release clause at the minute. Um, I do believe that Arsenal are going to do another deal uh, in regards to a midfielder. But whether that comes now or or closer towards the end of the transfer window, I think remains to be seen. If I had to guess, I'm probably looking towards the end of the window because I feel like it's very much dependent on the move in the likes of Torreira, maybe, and possibly Gendouzi out of the door um, and of course, we've got a number of defenders that we're trying to move on. So Arsenal are very much interested in these players, but they're also trying to raise funds in order to bridge the gap between what they can afford and what these clubs are asking for their respective midfield players.
1: So we obviously, you won the FA Cup, but you beat Liverpool as well in the Community Shield and you've brought in, obviously, well Saliba was obviously brought in last summer, but he's, he's finally joined up the squad. You've got Gabriel, you've got Willian. If you have a banning, potentially signing a new contract. you could potentially have another set in midfielder. What is the aim for Arsenal this season? Is it to get back in the top four? Is it just to be more competitive within the top six?
0: I think you should always aim high. Um, I think you should always aim for the maximum. And the maximum, I believe at the moment, will be a top four finish for Arsenal. So I think that's got to be the aim going into the start of the season. If we got to the end of the season and we missed out on the top four, but we were within touching distance, we gave it a good run and we were competitive in the race for it, then I'd say that would be progress and I'd be pretty happy with that. Obviously, in an ideal world, you want to finish in the top four, but you've got to be realistic as well. You've got to look at the, the teams around us. Chelsea have obviously strengthened significantly. Manchester United seem to be Um, on an upward trajectory. Tottenham, I think, will be better than they were last season uh, with Mourinho having a bit more time there now. So it's going to be difficult. It's probably more difficult than it it ever has been to break into this top four. And, you know, so uh, as much as I think that's got to be the aim at the start of the season, I think if we did miss out narrowly, then I think most sensible Arsenal fans would look at that and say it is progress because we were way off this time around.
1: So if we go ahead to look at Saturday's uh, Premier League opener uh, of all teams, what, what was your
0: reaction when you saw Fulham away was going to be your first game of the season? Disappointment at the fact that we can't attend the game because Fulham is a, a obviously a London-based club. It's a nice away game, um, one that I've enjoyed in the past. So obviously a bit of disappointment. that That's one we're not going to get to do later in the season when, um, you know, when hopefully fans are allowed back in. But I've got to be honest, look, Fulham for me... I'm not sure how they're going to fare in the Premier League this season. I, I don't know if they're going to have enough. I like Fulham as a football club, so I'd like to think they will. It's not a game that I'm particularly fearful of. And I don't mean that to come across as arrogant or, you know, disrespectful to Fulham. I just feel like with no fans in the stadium, it's probably a good start for Arsenal. In an ideal world, it would have been at the Emirates. But I'm not overly worried about this one. and And I say that because you know there could have been tougher games that we could have had at the start of the season given the players that we're likely to sort of not have available you know we know there's been an international break some people have been in quarantine so it's very much up in the air who's going to be available and who's not and as i said i don't want this to sound disrespectful but fulham for me is it's not a game that i look at and i say oh god i, I don't I, i'm dreading that one and and you can understand why they're a newly promoted side i'd say that about any of the newly promoted sides at the moment, so yeah, um, it wasn't a negative reaction. But I'm well aware that this is the Premier League, and anything can happen. And if we were to get beat, I wouldn't be surprised.
1: I think a lot of a lot of Fulham fans are looking at this game as not necessarily as a fr- as a free hit because you know we, we need to get points across the board this season, and actually we need to sort of hit the ground running because our, our running right at the end of the season is going is gonna be quite tough. But I think what we just want to see is there to be positives from this game. So if, if I remember when you came to Craven Cottage last time, I think it was 1-1 at half-time, and, and Ramsey completely destroyed us in the second half and it finished 4-5-1. or five So I think it, whether we win the game or not, whether we get a point or not, I think it's just seeing something that's going to make it different to last time we were in the Premier League. If you're looking at, obviously, the Fulham team, which is Mitrovic the
0: player you'd say Arsenal fans would be most worried about? Absolutely. Um, Mitrovic is the epitome of a striker that Arsenal hate playing against. He's powerful, he's physical, he's a bit of a nuisance. He's a wonderful finisher. And I think Mitrovic is going to be key to Fulham's survival hopes this season. And yeah, he's a player that I look at and I worry about. He really, really, really is.
1: So, obviously, Mitrovic obviously is is our main threat, especially going forward. He got 26-odd goals last season. I think he had the most goals out of any league, out of any of the English top four leagues. But if if Fulham are looking to exploit Arsenal this weekend and what you've seen in the Community Shield and, you know, towards the end of the post-lockdown period, so the FA Cup and that, what would you say Arsenal's weakness was? Because everyone talks about the defence, but where would you sort of pinpoint that the biggest weakness Arsenal currently have is?
0: I think Arsenal... They're very much sort of looking to play out from the back. They're looking to, when they've got the ball with the goalkeeper, the back three are spreading out, um, trying to sort of make use of the wit for the pitch. And you'll often see Ainsley, Maitland, Niles, if he plays at left wing back or whoever does, almost step into like a midfield position with a Aubameyang sort of pulling out to the left-hand side. So I definitely feel like if Fulham can win the ball high up the pitch and catch Arsenal out of shape with that back three, spread wide apart and exposed, that is the way to hurt this Arsenal side. Now, we've seen in some recent examples, particularly in the Community Shield, that when we get that right and we're able to play the ball out that way successfully and then bypass the opponent's midfield, we can cause problems when you've got the likes of a Bamiyang, um, you know, running at your defence. It's a problem. So the, the, the end goal of that sort of pattern of play from Arsenal can be very effective, but there are... Uh, opportunities for Fulham to expose that. If Fulham can win the ball high up the pitch, when Arsenal are, I would say, caught out of shape because they're trying to create the space to create these extra passes and the angles, that is the time to hurt Arsenal. Because Arsenal, Arsenal's improvement in terms of their defence has been... Because they've been compact. It's been because they've stayed in a tight shape. And it's been because they've been camped on the edge of their penalty area. That is the the one time I think that you will find Arsenal a little bit exposed. So if you can win the ball high up the pitch, that would be great. And this will be different to the to the Liverpool game in the community shield and different to the FA Cup final because Again, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but the onus is very much on Arsenal to go and attack Fulham in this game. And so you're probably going to see that back five that we've seen at times quite often shift into a back four with one of those players joining into the midfield and Arsenal trying to get a little bit more uh, going in the sort of final third. So it's not going to be an Arsenal that is as defensively sound as the one you've probably seen in some of the bigger games. And that's going to be because our goal is going to be different, I think.
1: You talk about your goals. One situation I've seen quite a few Arsenal fans debating on Twitter and social media is the goalkeeping situation between obviously Bernd Leno and then Emiliano Martinez came in uh, once Bernd Leno picked up that injury away at Brighton. What, what, what's your take on the goalkeeping situation at the moment? Do you think, do you can, can you see Emiliano Martinez wanting to move if because Leno is the first choice because
0: he wants to play first team football or do you think he
1: might stay and try force his way back into the number one spot?
0: I'd like to see him stay because I think since he's taken over from Berlino, he's been nothing short of sensational. But there is a little bit of caution with Martinez because he's had chances before and he's never performed at the level at which he's performing now. So it does make me think, why is it taking him so long to get to this level? It's not taking away anything from his performances, but you know, there are some Arsenal fans who are adamant that he should be the the Arsenal number one for the longer term and moving forward. Now, my opinion is simple. He hasn't done anything wrong at the moment. He's been really, really good. Therefore, for the time being, he should keep the number one jersey. But is he someone that I look at and say he's going to be Arsenal's number one for years to come? I can't guarantee that just based on those reasons I've just said. We haven't seen him do it over a sustained period of time. He's had opportunities before not really shone. So, you know, I would still lean towards Bern Leno as my number one, but Arsenal are going to have a lot of games this season. We managed to sneak into the Europa League, both the domestic competitions, of course, as well. Uh, a, a hectic Premier League schedule. Of course, the season's going to be shorter this time around because of uh, the COVID-19 impact and we're going to see the season crammed in. So it means a really, really busy campaign. And I do think that there are enough games and enough opportunities for both. Whether Martinez... Uh, will be happy with that. I don't know, but I think it is totally dependent on what uh, comes in in the door in terms of offers. If an offer comes in for Emiliano Martinez, that is of a decent amount. I do think Arsenal as a club will consider it, given that what I've said earlier on, that they're desperate to raise funds in order to do some other business.
1: So looking at the game straight ahead on Saturday, uh, lunchtime. So we're looking at the team. What team do you expect uh, Mikel Arteta to fill? Do you think it'll be a very similar one to one that played in the Community Shield a few weeks back?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, if I had to guess, I'd say that. But of course, we haven't had the press conference yet. So I'm not sure um, entirely who's available, who's not. It's been a little bit confusing because there's been international breaks. There's been players in quarantine. If I had to guess the team, I'd, I'd say Martinez in goal. Back three, uh, assuming David Luiz is out, I think it will be holding uh, Saliba and Tierney. And I pick Saliba over Gabriel because he's been with the Arsenal for longer. He's probably had a bit more time on the training ground. Um, I think that Maitland-Niles will play as one of the wing-backs, Bellerin on the other side. Xhaka would definitely play in the middle of the park, whether that will be alongside Danny Ceballos, I'm not sure. Obviously, he's rejoined on loan from Real Madrid, but... He's not been with us a, a long time. Perhaps Mohamed or Neni will get the nod. I think the front three is very much going to be obviously Pierre, emerick Abameyang. Um, not sure how Lacazette and Pepe are doing in terms of fitness, but if they're not available, then I think it will be Enketia uh, leading the line through the middle. And probably, um, I don't know if I'm, I don't know who to go for on the right. It's a tough one. Probably maybe Reese Nelson. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a few options. So, like I said, it's really hard to predict the side, but I think that's probably the the basis of it.
1: So, for one last question, if they're going to push you for prediction for Saturday's game, what are you going to go for?
0: Um, I'm going to go for an Arsenal win. Um, I don't think it will be a comfortable win. I think it will be a narrow victory. I feel like if we defend well enough um, and we we sort of weather that early storm that Fulham are going to bring, given that they're back in the Premier League, they'll be buzzing. I think if we can weather that, defend well, I think we've always got a chance of nicking a goal with the players we've got in the final third. And so I'm going to go for a narrow Arsenal victory, probably largely based on the fact that I think there's a real feel-good factor around the club. And if they make this Aubameyang announcement between now and the game as well, that will only increase and improve. So, yeah, narrow Arsenal victory, I think.
1: Well, thanks for joining us, Harry. Do you want to tell everyone if they want to get some more of your content where they can find you?
0: yeah thank you very much thank you for having me um, you can find me at the Chronicles of Aguna the Arsenal podcast you can find me on 90min as well um, and various other bits and pieces if you follow me on Twitter at Harry Simeou S-Y-M-E-O-U um, I post everything there so cheers hello I'm Breda and
2: you are listening to the Fulhamish podcast
0: on Sunday evening Fulham announced their fourth
1: signing of the window in Alfonse Areola joining on a seizing long loan deal from Paris Saint Germain with an option to make the deal permanent at the end of the season. To get a more in-depth look at the French goalkeeper, I was joined by my French football expert and podcaster Jeremy Smith from French Football Weekly and I started off by asking him what we can expect from Ariola this season.
3: He's not a controversial figure but he sort of splits opinion. Um, I'm definitely on the side of those who, who uh, rate him quite highly and I feel a little bit sorry for the, the kind of career he's end up, ended up having. Um, I, I think he's sort of to be honest, made a big mistake not leaving PSG permanently earlier. Because, I mean, it's it's shocking to think he's already 27 because it still feels like he's a young keeper making his way. And this will be his, uh, I think, fifth loan spell away from PSG. Um, And I think he's sort of suffered from being one of their youth products. So I think a lot of their fans take him for granted and and criticise him a little bit too easily. Um, but I think he's obviously didn't he didn't put up any trees last year at Real Madrid. But for the most part, I think he's a he's, he's very tall, which is always good for a keeper. Um, I think he, he's quite commanding in his box. Um, in terms of sort of um, saves, um, you know, shot stopping. I think one of the criticisms of him is that people sort of say well he makes the saves that you expect him to save, but maybe doesn't make the uh, you know the special ones that that turn out to be match winners, um, but gen- generally, I, I do think that he's there. There is the odd ricket, but I think he's a for the most part a, a pretty consistent, reliable goalkeeper. And I think you know, for goalkeepers, more than any other position, I think you, you really need to sort of have the faith of of your manager and and be able to really cement a place and, and build a good relationship with your with your defence. And I think he suffered from the fact that rarely in his whole career has he been able to settle in one place for long enough to do that.
1: Do you think one of the main reasons why he would have moved to Fulham, especially especially I mean? obviously Fulham fans are quite surprised by this signing actually, because obviously you had Marek Rodak in goal who came through sort of after the first five, ten games when Marcus Bellelli dropped out the side and he was you know, I think our probably our second best player, if not our best player of the season, uh, up there with Alexander Mitrovic. And I think you know, it, I, I'm I'm happy with this signing because al- although you know it, it's great to see Rodak, you know, definitely get a chance. I think you know, it you you don't want a, a backup keeper is there just to be a backup. You want two goalkeepers who are sort of pushing each other. One thing that um, Fulham goalkeepers have been suspect of is obviously distribution. How would you rank Ariola in that department?
3: Again, I'd say it's probably not his strongest point, but it's also again something that he needs to be given the chance to work on um i think he's definitely better kind of the i guess the defensive side of the game the the you know the, the crossing the co- commanding the defense sort of the distribution i think is something that he he could look to improve on um but again you know this is a keeper who like you said he's in the world cup squad he won the under 20 world cup with france all the all the sort of raw materials are there. He just needs to be given the chance and also needs to give himself the chance to to stick in one place long enough to to sort of, to improve.
1: So, do you, although he hasn't, you know, had these loads and loads of first-team games, obviously he's had loan spells, but uh, obviously when he, when he went down to Liga and then obviously he, he got promoted into Liga as well. And it's like, he's been at PSG, he's been at Real Madrid. Obviously he was in the World Cup squad. He As I said, he's won the Youth World Cup with... With um with France, do you think actually, although he's not played loads, the ex- the experience it will bring for a young keeper like Marek Rodak will be one of the strong points of him coming to Fulham.
3: Yeah, definitely. He's he's well travelled. I think it was a round of good match that that PSG were knocked out of um the Champions League a couple of years ago, which for me sums up his career. That I think he meant made sort of nine really good saves to keep PSG in it, and then kind of slipped up and um like literally slipped on the ground and and. Possibly were slightly at fault for for a goal that they conceded, and obviously everyone immediately ignores all the the saves that that had actually kept um, kept the match competitive, and only zoned in on on on, on the one mistake. And I, I suppose that's just the lot of a goalkeeper. But um, yeah, again, the fact that he's he's having thought of man of the match performances against Real Madrid, the fact he's playing for Real Madrid, um, he, he, yeah, he's got great experience. Um, you know he has played, if you count his his loan spells and then certainly one season at PSG. He has pretty much been a number one keeper for the whole season three or four times. But at 27, for a goalkeeper of his calibre, you'd expect it to see him to have a lot more um, a lot more appearances than that. Um, so, yeah, in a way inexperienced in terms of the number of games, but certainly the if you like know, the. the the sort of the level of those games that he has played has been pretty high.
1: In his in his interview with the club when he first signed, he spoke about how he's bought a house in London already. He you know Scott Parker was one of the main reasons why he joined after he spoke to him. And obviously it's a loan deal, but there is obviously a clause in there which means we we can make the deal permanent at the end of the season. I would imagine that's obviously on the basis of us staying in the division or not because obviously the, the the high wages we'd be needing to paying for a goalkeeper like Ariel after being at, you know, Paris Saint Germain. Do you think he sees this as sort of hitting the maybe the restart button in his career and finally sort of finding a home?
3: I hope so. I mean, that, that's obviously what, what the plan was at Real Madrid as well. But certainly if, he, if he's bought a house, it, and like I said, it's, it's really time for him to move and cut, cut those sort of apron strings from PSG now because it's not doing him any favours. To be fair, they haven't done... They haven't, I don't think, treated him particularly well either. Um, and obviously if you're going to sort of land somewhere else, the Premier League is a great place to do it. It's extremely attractive to, to French players. The, the higher wages are mm-hmm. uh, one of the points as well. And of course, like for, for foreign players, I think London automatically is a big pool as well. So, um, yeah, every, everything would make sense that um, he'd be looking to, to cement the number one place throughout the season and then and then hopefully make it a permanent deal. If he's not looking to use it as an opportunity to get away and to, to make it a permanent deal, then I, I think there's something seriously wrong with him.
1: So we move on to another player who hasn't signed Fulham yet, but he's been very, very strongly linked. That is Kenny Tete, who's obviously been at Olympic Lyon since 2017 after moving there from Ajax. How would you how would you describe his career at Lyon so far? Like, it hasn't really kicked on as maybe he was expecting once he made that move from Ajax.
3: No, it's been, it's been really disappointing, to be honest. came in, I think it was, him and Raphael were, were were there around the same time, and he was certainly expected to be, I think, the the, the number one full uh, right back. With with Raphael, maybe sort of on the maybe on the sort of downhill trajectory of his career, be, being the backup. And for the most part, Teto's been, if he's lucky, the backup. I mean, um, you know, recently he's he's barely even been that. He gets a few substitute appearances here and there, but. The career's been di- disappointing because he's, he's been overtaken um, by, by, by several players. Raphael's had more games than him. Léo Dubois has come in and, and pretty much been the, the number one right back. They actually sold one of their really talented young players to Milan this mm-hmm. summer. Um, so you, And Raphael left this week as well. So you'd have thought, oh, this might be a chance for Tete. So the fact that they're still looking to, to, to sell him off um, really suggests that they've given up hope of sort of you know, getting the best out of him
1: or finding anything out of him. So, do you think a bit like, as you said with Ariola, he sees this as um, if he if he was to join, and it looks like it is fairly close. That again, it hit, hit a restart, and this is because he's only obviously 24 still. He's still fairly young, and Fulham do need a right back. Our, our options haven't been great there. I mean, we had basically Cyrus Christie and Dennis Odoy. I mean, and and they, they didn't fare well in the Premier League last time. So, do you think he can use this as going, going down to a smaller club from Leon to Fulham, but maybe? Because he knows he'll probably be starting uh, if he if he gets going and starting week in week out and he can really push on and obviously he will be wanting to making the, the Netherlands teams ahead of the Euros next summer.
3: Yeah, I mean obviously there's a lot of quality there. He comes from from Ajax, which obviously has got the you know, legendary youth set and and he's a he's a full international and and the fact that Lyon signed him and this is a, a Lyon that was you know still challenging in Europe at the time. Um, you know, everyone knows that there's quality there. It's just that, again, he's, uh, yeah, in a way, it's the opposite to Ariola. It's shocking that he's only 24 because the name's been around for quite a while. And and I think that that's, that's the problem. That he was, you know, already a potential star at sort of 21, but hasn't really kicked on in any way. So he's got, you know, he's okay defensively. He's okay going forwards. His crosses are hit and miss. I'd say that's probably the case for. Um, nine out of ten fullbacks unfortunately these days. But um you no, know, he was, he was signed as a sort of investment um for the future. It hasn't really happened. And, but
0: he's still got a
3: lot of time and if he can sort of get back on the on the sort of upward path that he was originally on, then yeah, he can definitely sort of make a name for himself in, in the Premier League. Um, you know, with all due respect to Fulham, and a lot, you know, it's, it's one of those ones where well, I guess he might think, well, this is a chance for me to get out of a club where it's not working out, um, do well in the Premier League, and then who knows, maybe one of the one of the sort of top clubs in the Premier League might 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 come in, and, and Fulham would be a good stepping stone and a chance for me to get back into the international setup. Um, but I mean, it's, I suppose similar to Ariolo, it's it's partly up to him. Can he sort of you know, zone in, keep his concentration, and, and really make sure that, that he, he finds some consistency and, and gets, first, he gets into the first team, I guess, and then make sure that he stays there. I d- and just like Areola, I, d- I do think the talent is there. It's just, I suppose, whether he can get his confidence back and, and, and just, yeah, like I said, maintain that consistency that he hasn't shown at all for the last three years.
1: One last question we'll talk about is obviously two f- players Fulham bought from France two years ago in also Jean-Michel Serri and Frank Zambo Anguissa. Obviously, it looks like Anguissa's going to be part of the Fulham setup this season unless we accept sort of a late bid of you know or, off, off, off or, or above 25 million pounds. Do you think that loan, obviously at Villarreal last season for Frank, will really sort of let him, let him push on the season in the Premier League because he did he did sort of he did perform towards the end of Fulham's Premier League campaign once he wasn't being used as obviously the base of the midfield three and obviously he, sort of the number eight role because obviously at, when he was at Marseille he had obviously Luis Gustavo behind him do you think for what you've seen obviously we've had a lot of money for Anguissa do you think this season could really be a big one for him?
3: I think it could be and I hope it is I mean to be completely honest it was he was a little bit of a laughing stock in France no one particularly rated him and he was kind of Almost unlucky that his, his sort of parting shot in France was a, a really high-profile mistake in the Europa League final for Marseille. But even before then, people didn't particularly rate him highly. And so when when Fulham came in with so much money, I think you know, the general general feeling was that everyone thought it was hilarious, um, and no one was surprised that, that that his season at Fulham didn't go brilliantly. And the reverse of that was people were sort of pleasantly surprised that, that he's had a very good season in Spain so hopefully he'll take the confidence of that of, of excelling in um, in well, what I personally think actually is it's the best league in Europe and um, I know I'm not supposed to say that but um, you know, being in England we're supposed to say Premier League's better than everything I think La Liga is the best league and for him to, to excel in that league you know, he's got to take something from that and, and hopefully be able to to, to keep that going this year, um it might just be a case of you know one of those players needing to to get away from where he's been for too long, where he's maybe gone stale and um mature as a person as well as a footballer, and then come back stronger for it, so yeah i'm hoping that that Tottenham will sort of
1: reap the benefits of that this year. And with with John Serre obviously he came in 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 that sort of double deal with Maxime Lamarche And obviously, he, he, I think for the first month of last eight, of of the season we were in the Premier League last time, he, he played very well. And then he sort of sort of deteriorated in the winter months and come the end of the season. Then obviously went on loan to Galatasaray last season. He didn't have a great year there. What people in France sort of made of obviously John Seri's move since he left sort of
3: It's a complete mystery. And I mean he to be honest, he's pretty much gone off the radar in, in in the French media and um that that probably says a lot in itself. But he was so good at Nice and, you know, was seriously um linked with teams like Barcelona just because he you know in midfield he could he could do it all. He was such a brilliant passer and playmaker, um, you know, really innovative, clever you know, clever back heels to set up important goals and Champions League qualifiers. Um, you know, it just seems such talent and being to sort of drop off the pit like that was a shock for, for everyone. I don't know what it was. I don't know if I suppose, you know, the sunny climes of Nice and maybe a little bit more um, what he's used to from where he comes from originally. Uh, I, I don't know what it was. I don't know. You know again, a bit like I said about Zando and Grisa, I think um, you've got to always bear in mind that a lot of these are sort of young people who who, uh, who have to adjust to a new culture and a new life off the pitch as well as what goes on on the pitch. And maybe it was something to do with that, which is surprising because you just thought, in like, a cosmopolitan city like London, it should be easier for, for, for him to adjust. Um, I'm not sure what it, what it was. No one understands it in France because, you know, from being such a promising player and really looking like he could become one of one of the one of the best midfielders in Europe to, to, to lose all form like that is just bizarre.
1: Well, thanks for joining us, Jeremy. If anyone wants to catch, obviously, your opinions on French football, where can they find you? You
3: can find me usually podcasting on either French Football Weekly or get French Football News.
4: Have you got hairy balls? Well, if so, listen up. And if you don't, listen up anyway, because you might know someone that does. Fulhamish is brought to you by Manscaped, who are the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offer precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Yes, it rhymes. Manscaped have just launched in the UK for years us men have gone without the right tools for the job. You can be one of the first men in the country to experience their life changing products. We even have a review here from our very own Farrell Monk who has tested one of the Manscaped kits.
1: I've used the Manscaped lawnmower and quite frankly, my balls have never felt better.
4: That's right. If Farrell's a fan, then you will be a fan too. Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team have perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 in the UK. Now you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code FULHAM at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code Fulham at Manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you and we can get on with the podcast.
1: To conclude this week's Fulhamish Extra, we have a brand new series to bring you listeners called Fantasy Fulham, where Sammy was joined by resident FPL experts George Singer and Dara Curran. Also remember to join our Fulhamish League ahead of the new season which all the deals can be found on our social accounts at Fulhamish Pod.
4: Thank you very much Dom. Continuing Fulhamish Extra today with our very first ever segment of Fantasy Football. Yes, you got it right. Fantasy Fulham is what we're going to be calling it. Uh, Semi regular dose of fantasy FPL chat here on Fulhamish. We're back in the Premier League. Everyone loves their fantasy team. Um, some are a little bit more experienced than others. So throughout the season, I'm going to be chatting with Fulhamish's two FPL experts. And when I say experts, I mean experts. The first one uh, is a regular voice you hear on the pod a lot, George. how you doing?
5: Yeah, good. Thank you, Sammy. How are you?
4: Not too bad. Thank you. And now he's not so regular on the pod, but when I tell you that this man has got FPL chops for days, I am not lying to you. Dara Curran, Mr. Fantasy himself. How you doing, mate? Very good. Thanks. So you lads, like just give me an indication of like how extreme you guys are with FPL. You've both got um spreadsheets uh codes Dara I know that you're part of another fantasy premier league podcast as well you boys love it singer let's tell me about the spreadsheet because you've shown it to me once and I nearly wanted to pass out at how extreme it was
5: I mean you you're really bigging us up here Sammy if uh, if me and Dara don't do well in the leagues then um uh yeah well i'll i'll blame you you you're bigging us up too much um no uh uh yeah i mean my so a, as my day job i'm a data analyst so i mean I, i'm in my i'm very much in my happy place when it comes to uh comes to spreadsheets and uh, and dashboards and things like that um back in the day i i made an algorithm which picked my fancy team for me um, oh so it worked God. out how many points each player should get, what's the best value for money. Um, that's since been retired, but now um, I've got... Did you sell it to
4: Microsoft or something for like billions like Zuckerberg? Uh,
5: I I I'm not allowed to comment on that, Sammy. Um, no, 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 I didn't. Uh, no. Uh yeah, and and these days it's yeah, I mean I, I do have a, a few fre- a few spreadsheets and a few dashboards, yeah. Um Amazing. but for all the uh, all the work you put in, um really uh really a lot of it's down to luck, as I'm sure we'll uh, we'll come on to in a little bit.
4: And Dara, tell us a little bit about the FPL stuff you do, because I know that you're uh, you're part of, of, of an FPL podcast and you know quite a lot of people who are notable in that world. There's people that like make a living out of fantasy, aren't there?
2: Yeah, I, I wasn't really aware of the whole fantasy community until a couple of years ago. And it, it's just really grown in the last number of years. But I... I'm a Fulham correspondent for Planet FPL, and then I do little bits here and there for for some other podcasts. But really yeah, I, I'm very much like George. Got the spreadsheets, all sorts of things like that. It's probably, pen, I spend way too many man hours on the whole thing. Really.
4: Well, I must admit, I think when when Fulham are in the Premier League, I'm much more into FPL. I think when we've been in the Champ, I've obviously always had a team, but I've found it a little bit harder. To to sometimes care and especially towards the end of last season, I kind of did tail off towards the end. But I'm I'm on, I'm on one this year. I'm gonna be good at FPL, and I'm gonna. I don't even want to win a league. I just want to be like respectable. I want to be in the title race. So this year's a big year for me FPL wise. And I think the fact that Fulham are back in the Premier League makes it more exciting for me personally. And I imagine a few other people listening would 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 say the same. So. I'm coming at this as a massive novice and I'm going to kind of get some tips from you guys. Um, George, let's start on the Fulham front. If you're picking a team and we all want a Fulham player in our team, I think it's almost. Well, I find it sacrilege to have a fantasy team and not have at least one token Fulham player in there. Who is the Fulham player? you would recommend going for I know there's an obvious answer I'm imagining you're not going to say it
5: um yeah good question I mean I I totally agree with what you say um having Fulham in the uh, in fancy does uh does certainly make it more fun and uh and when you've got a Fulham player in and they do well in real life you kind of get double the boost because obviously uh you you enjoy seeing them do well and you get some fancy points for it but certainly (laughs) in my experience it's uh it's a bit of a poison chalice at times because you uh, yeah. you um, you sometimes back the boys a bit too much and you put a bit too much faith in them and you think oh, you know what they'll they'll come good finally and and in our joint experience we know that that quite often isn't the case. Um, when it comes to the players at the moment, so obviously we've got a lot larger squad than we did last time round, which is good. Um, I'm afraid it, the boring answer, but it, it is the um, it, it is the most obvious answer. Would be Mitro. Um, yeah, I think for for six million, he's in that kind of middle of the roads uh, kind of price wise um, striker. And I think considering you know who you compare him to um, for kind of other players in that bracket, I think he's uh, he's obviously got pedigree. He's got um, he's got uh, you know, he he scored plenty of the league before, so um, you know. Chances are, I, I imagine most people will want to have a, a mid-range striker in their team, and I think he's a he's a good shout. Um, and then the other one who I've got currently on my bench is Rodak. Um, yeah. I guess the the thing with keepers, um, you'd probably uh, maybe as a as a novice, you'd think what what would be the point of having a keeper from a lower league team in your side because you know, surely you want your Edison, your Allison, you know, your um, your uh, more expensive keepers who are going to get clean sheets. Yeah. Worth keeping in mind in fantasy, you get points for saves. So sometimes if you have a very good keeper in a lower down league, they can get more, you know, as many or if not more points through just making lots of saves. Um, we know Rodak is a great shot stopper. We know Fulham are going to have a lot of shots against them. Kind of putting two and two together, he feels like a good option. Um, Not enough confidence in him yet to make him my starting keeper. But as my kind of bench alternative keeper, um, he's in there at the moment.
4: Okay. Okay. So Dara, I always find FPL at the start really overwhelming. I know that in three weeks I'll be absolutely kicking myself with my terrible choices that I made at this time. You have so many players to pick. You've kind of got no form to go off because you don't know how people will have adapted over the summer. You don't know um, how new signings will upset the apple cart. You don't know just who's going to actually get a run in the team. Of course, you, there's certain players who you know will kind of to be up there or thereabouts so what are your top tips at this stage of the season picking 14 players for 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 your team what is the best way to go about it because I personally go into it and I just by the end I almost want to sometimes just pick my like an auto pick because I wonder if it might do a better job than me trying to look at how they did last season etc
2: well I I think if almost hit the nail on the head Sammy in, in terms of saying you don't know which players would start or which players will will get a frequent game time and that, that's probably the number one rule is pick players that you know will play so yeah. with, the, with the likes of Mitrovic he's pretty much going to play every single game unless he's suspended or or injured and those are the kind of yeah. players that I like to go for the ones that are going to play all the time there's not too much risk about them like you don't want you don't want to have to make a transfer or have them benched somewhere down the line and just causing a headache. Mm-hmm. So you, you can include one or two of those type of players, but not the not the the highly priced one. So like you're gonna and you're going to want like someone to captain every week as well. So that's another area to look at. So the likes of your Salas, your your Mane's, Sterling, Kevin De Bruyne, Harry Kane, these types of players, you you're probably going to want two of that high premium player in your team and have a look at the the early fixtures and see which one you can captain each week so you can plan forward.
4: So you want to be looking at as maybe Tottenham's opening fixtures, Liverpool's early fixtures and see maybe which ones have kind of got that nice 3-4 game runway where they're likely to score a few goals. You don't want one that's got maybe big derbies or big games against other kind of top six opposition. You want one that's maybe got a nice... Easy, gentle start into the season.
2: Well, the, the fixtures are the best, the best source of information that we have. They, they don't change. It's only the the form and of the players that are going to change. So we're we're trying to give ourselves the best opportunity to score points based on what we know and what we know are the fixtures. So it's easy to look at those and select your squad based on that. Especially in the early stages of the game, you've always got that wild card in your pocket as well. If you wanted to change things up and it's not going well for you.
4: Now, singer, what we all really want in our fantasy team is the next John Lundstrom. He was the obviously the star. Lord Lundstrom is who you want in your team. So, have you guys got any? I, I know you probably are keeping your cards close to your chest, and you don't want to give away your, your 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 ace trick card that you've probably got up your sleeve. But are there a few players in the league this year that you're thinking you could be all right? You could maybe spring a surprise or two. When when I've picked my one, I really wasn't sure exactly who to go for. I, I think maybe I went for Vinagre of, of Wolves, who I thought could be a, a half decent ad- addition and maybe get some points at, at fullback for Wolves. But he's about as left field as I've gone. I certainly haven't. Don't think I've found the next John Lundstrom.
5: Yeah, I, I think the the thing with Lundstrom, um, whilst uh, you know, kind of the the Sheffield United doing so well took us all by surprise a bit. Um, one of the big things with with the Lord, as I will uh, henceforth uh, call him, <laughs> um, so he was he was positioned wrong. Like he he was never a defender. Um, you know, he never really played in defence. Really, it was an attacking midfield role that he played, um, and therefore. Um, Basically, a, a defender in the game will get more points for scoring than a striker will. So, so really, that's why he did so well because he was he, he was really misclassified. You know, fantasy made a mistake. Um, God knows how, but they did. Um, so, for me, probably, whilst it's it's impossible to try and pick those left field players early, and I probably would suggest you don't just you know try and. Find a uh, find a nobody to um to to put all your cards behind. I'd say the one thing you can do is look for the players who are misclassified, or you think maybe are a midfielder when they should be a defender, or or a, a midfielder when they should be a striker. And for me, I think kind of probably the two obvious ones with that are Aubameyang and uh, Rashford. You, you could probably chuck Marcus Greenwood in that as well. Um, so fr- from my point of view obviously United aren't playing in the first game week someone like Yang is a, is a great shout as a midfielder you know he's going to play pretty much every game uh, you know he's he's going to be top scorer for Arsenal but maybe Lacazette he's going to score loads of goals and he gets more points for goals as a midfielder than he does a striker so whilst it's not kind of a um, picking a nobody uh, who's all going to shock and surprise us? Probably putting someone like a Bamyang in at this point is uh, is a is a good thing to do if you want to replicate a bit of the uh, the Lord Lundstrom magic.
4: And then Dara, once the season's underway, what are your key criteria for? chopping and changing your team i remember someone back in the day told me that form is a really good indication of who you should be picking and then you can obviously filter players by form once the season's three or four games in and it's actually a really good way of finding a few undervalued players what are your key metrics that you go for um when, when looking for potential replacements and, and and trying to find those players that maybe? I think they call them differentials. If I know my FPL terms,
2: indeed, correct, Tommy. Um, <laughs> I I tend to go quite aggressive at the beginning, um, although I'm not sure this season whether I can still do that because there's just a lot of fixtures coming very close together. Uh, some people like the wild card early on, so they might give it three, four weeks, maybe more, and get in the players that they want. Uh, typically for attacking wise, I'm looking at players that are going to be getting big chances, shots in the box. Uh, if it's a midfielder or a defender, even just getting touches in the box, creating big chances and XG, of course, that lovely term that some of our friends at Fulhamish love. (laughs) Um, and some of them very much hate (laughs) that, that that also comes to play when i'm looking at defenses so i'll look at a team's defense as a whole and see what kind of xg they're conceding and if it's if it's low then i'm going to be looking to target that team but you also have to weigh up everything you have to watch watch them on the pitch is probably another thing certain players will reveal themselves as being more attacking which you just can't get from looking at stats so yeah, you need to combine the two things. You need to be watching games, watching your match of the day. That obviously doesn't give you the whole picture, but if you can watch as many games as possible and then combine that with some of the stats, that that's always the best way to go. Okay. I think just to uh, just to
5: jump in there as well, um, I, I'd agree with everything Dara says. Um, I guess you know when when we've got time to look at all that stuff, it, it's great. But there there will always be weeks where you've got something on, you've completely forgotten, and you're like, ah. Oh, I've got 10 minutes to do my team. What do I do? Um, in those scenarios, personally, the two things I look for are form is number one um, and fixtures is number two. So um, f- like form would be the more important one and fixtures would be the slightly less important one. Um, yeah, so like, like you said, um, you can do it on the fancy website. If you sort by form, look at the players who are high in form um, then take a look at their fixtures. So, you know, chances are if they're high in form, they've got good fixtures coming up. That's normally uh, your best way of finding good players as quickly as possible. And yeah. then, as Dara said, you can you can look into more and more stuff which will help validate that. Uh, but literally, if you've got five, ten minutes quickly do your team, look at form, look at upcoming fixtures, and that's probably your best way of getting your uh, your best bang for your buck.
4: Amazing. Well, I am very much on the ho- uh, on the hunt for for this year's Pascal Gross. I was on him <laughs> two years ago before the season, and I was very happy uh, with Pascal Gross for uh, when he absolutely stormed onto the scene for Brighton. Not done an awful lot for them since, but he had a great start. It was a great fantasy name a couple of years ago. All right, lads. Well, so there is Fulhamish leagues this year. Fulhamish has had the biggest FPL league out of kind of any unofficial Fulham uh page outlet that i know for for several years now and we are continuing it this year so we are going to put an article there's an article on the fulhamish website with all the details for our league the code is 31h 32s all lowercase so 31h32s is the fulhamish code and we've got some prizes this year a little bit different how we're doing it so the first prize is going to be awarded at the end of october and if you're in the league you're automatically entered into this we are looking for the best fantasy Fulham-related name. So, if your fantasy league name is is Fulham-related, it's it's related around I don't know Craven Cottage or a player in the team or an ex-player or anything like that. You are automatically entered. The Fulhamish team are going to look through the whole league to try and find the best four names that we can find as a shortlist, and then we're going to put it to a public vote. So if you've got a cracking Fulham name, you don't need to do anything. You just need to be in the league. Uh, and we're going to give the winner of that uh, a Fulhamish mug or a voucher equivalent. Uh, then we're also going to do uh, whoever is top at New Year. So that's after game week 16. Whoever is top of our league after New Year will win a Fulhamish mug. And then the overall winner will win a Fulhamish mug and a Fulhamish t-shirt as well. So you just need to be in the league. 3-1-H, 3 I think there are already well over a thousand people in the league. We'd love to get that to to a couple of thousand. Uh we're really gonna go big this year. We're gonna do more of these chats as well on the podcast throughout the year. And I know that George and Dara are gonna help out with some more FPL content as the season goes. Um, George, uh you must be feeling confident of uh, potentially um, bagging yourself that that top spot in the in the Fulhamish league this year.
5: I mean, the uh, the Fulhamish mugs are are very good. I could hardly <laughs> recommend them. So a uh, nice little plug from there. Um, yeah, I mean, I am um, aiming high
4: to win the overall big Fulhamish league. Though, uh, really does take some chops. There was, I remember, i always look in there and I'm always shocked how good the top people are. Dara, uh, I know you've been there or thereabouts at the top of the Fulhamish league before as well. So, uh, are you feeling confident this this, this year is going to be a good one for you?
2: I'm hoping so because last year I just didn't really watch much Premier League football at all. I was basically focusing on Fulham and the Championship. So I'm looking forward to actually enjoying the Premier League this year and enjoying Fulham, hopefully doing well.
4: And um, and George, what's your fantasy name? Have you got a Fulham-related one?
5: Uh, it's not Fulham-related at the moment. It's, uh, well, Tortoise and De Gea, which uh, eh, I'm not sure. It, it was a quick one. I, I was thinking of... Going on brand and changing it to SW6 stats, but maybe I uh, maybe I need to go some like full, silly Fulham related. I'll do some digging after this and see what I can find.
4: Well, I've called mine Brian Storm, so I don't think it's the best name, but you know, Joe Brian, Brian it's... Storm, the Arctic Monkeys song. I'm I'm I'm, I'm there. I'm not I'm not hundred percent sure I'm keeping it for the season, but
5: I like it. It's better than all the we had. So many Seri puns. A couple of years ago oh, are you serious and, and things like that so uh mine
4: was yeah, eagle eye seri
5: which i was still
4: quite proud of a couple
5: of years that, ago. that's a i like i like that one uh, i i assume you're not you're not allowed to be part of the uh the prize draw are you sammy
4: no, no, I think that would be very self-indulgent if I, if we <laughs> picked myself. I mean, I'm just having a look through some of the names in the Fulhamish League at the moment. Alison Hangeland, uh, a personal favourite. and There's a lot of uh in there. Uh, Tech Like Onoma, Parker the Bus, The Carns FC, um, Selfridges FC uh, <laughs> I've seen in there as well. So um, lots of great names, but we will go through it in full uh, to find out who is the best one in October. And feel free to tweet us if you think you've got a particular good one you know uh spamming us probably will uh, will get you somewhere um so george thank you very much for being part of the fpl chat fantasy fulham today
5: thanks sammy good to be on
4: and uh dara thank you for being fantasy fulham as well thank you hope to see you again soon may the fpl gods be forever in your favor come on you whites hi i'm Collins john
1: and you are listening to the Fulhamish podcast. Well, that's it for this week's Fulhamish Extra. Hope everyone enjoys Saturday's opener against Arsenal, wherever you're watching. Come on, you whites, up the Fulham. And let's hope you have a couple of new signings in three points to talk about on Monday's debrief. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts.
5: Here's
4: a show we recommend.